Welcome to Star Wars Wednesday on the Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula podcast. I am joined once again by my brother Raj, and today we are tackling Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, the second installment chronologically in the Star Wars saga. Raj, how are you today? Good, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So... We're basically, I'll set up how we're going to do this for you, just so you know what to expect. We're going to kind of give a brief overview of the plot, and then we'll do our thoughts on the actual plot of the movie, which there's a lot to unpack. It's almost a two and a half hour movie, so that's a lot. But then we will go through, obviously we'll have things to say about the romantic component of the movie, and uh, any other uh, extras or nitpicks that we have to... Or maybe things we like even. Who knows? You might be surprised. Uh, But we'll go through all that after we've kind of given our thoughts on the actual meat of the movie. So with that being said, basically we start off 10 years after the events of Episode 1. And you've got the Trade Federation uh, and basically they've become part of a separatist movement from the Republic, led by Count Dooku, who was more or less just taking the place of Darth Maul in this movie. Uh, Which, again, don't know why we can't have Darth Maul, but I'll editorialize more later. I miss Darth Maul. I do too. He's cooler than Count Dooku. Um, Anyway, so Queen Amidala is now Senator Amidala, which I have thoughts on. But anyway, she is being... They're trying to kill her because there's a vote about whether or not to create a an army of the republic uh and so that's basically the opening part of the movie is obi-wan and anakin trying to protect her from being assassinated and uh trying to figure out who's trying to kill her which spoiler alert probably the sith guys (laughs) um anyway so in an effort to try and find the uh the people trying to kill padme obi-wan ends up discovering that a clone army's been in the works for almost 10 years and this bounty hunter that he's been trying to track down is the uh is the genetic template let's say of of the clones and so obi-wan believes jango is the one trying to kill padme so he follows jango that's jango fett for those of you who are uh, big Boba Fett guys, that, that name will sound familiar. Um, but Obi-Wan follows Jango, uh, ends up going to the planet of Geonosis, where he discovers a separatist droid army being put together by Count Dooku. Um, at the same time, Padme and uh, Anakin go back to Naboo for her protection, and... Have just some horrifying interactions. Um, And also Anakin is uh, having visions of his mother, who we finally learned his name, Shmi. Uh, They don't actually mention her name in the first movie. No, they don't? No. Interesting. Uh, So tough look for Shmi there. Uh, (laughs) But not as tough as a look as when Anakin finds her. No, Um, it gets rough. And she's pretty beat up and basically dead uh, almost by the time he finds her. And... He 
you know, goes ahead and slaughters an entire uh, Tuscan tribe, which the Tuscan Raiders and the Sand People are the same thing. I'm yeah. what we learn here. Yeah. Uh, maybe we knew that before, but also Tuscan is not spelled how you would, you know, like Tuscan, not like the, the Italian way. Like it's it's not they're not Italian Raiders no. uh, for for what that's worth. But uh, so you've got Anakin kind of making his first major dark turn there with a. Uh, large massacre <laughs> spoiler it won't be the last one mm-hmm. um and uh and obi-wan's on geonosis finding out about all the separatist army or whatever so uh, at that point uh jar jar binks who inexplicably has been given padme's senatorial powers <laughs> um basically votes to give palpatine supreme chancellor uh emergency Basically, Emperor powers. Basically, Jar Jar turns Palpatine into the Emperor. That's what happened. I knew we didn't like Jar Jar. I mean, there's that's a that's a kind of a bad move. Uh, but in his defense, the Jedi also kind of wanted that. So bad look for the Jedi also. Uh, so at this point, Anakin and Padme go to rescue Obi Wan, who's gotten himself into some trouble on Geonosis. And uh, they get captured as well because he's not a good Jedi at this point, uh, basically. And looks like they're all going to be put to death. But Yoda and Mace Windu save the day with a bunch of other Jedi and dun da 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 the clone army. <laughs> so we've got that. They end up in a giant three-way lightsaber fight um, between Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Count Dooku. And Dooku basically just whoops up on Anakin and Obi-Wan. Anakin loses an arm in the process. And a little foreshadowing of his future robot self. (laughs) Um, And then Yoda comes and basically keeps them from being murdered. Dooku distracts Yoda and escapes. And uh, at the end, we basically see Padme and Anakin secretly being married. Like I said, there is a lot in this so movie. So Did much. I miss anything that you're aware of? No. And uh, as far as major plot points. No, but to be honest, it's hard. Even the synopsis is hard to follow. I feel like the movie, it took me a long time to yes. get through. And, and it was it's just long. Everything's long and convoluted about it. Well, and before I rewatch this, and... Basically, even after I rewatched this, I found myself thinking if somebody told me to give them like the elevator pitch on what Attack of the Clones is, I couldn't do it. I like, totally agree. I barely, I've seen this movie three times in the last like four days, and I can barely tell you what happens. Yeah, it's like stuff that happens. In the beginning, you forgot has happened by the time you get to the end of the yes. movie. It's almost like you were watching two separate movies, which maybe it should have been, and maybe that would solve the problems. There, there is interesting stuff here, like sure the uh, the rise of the Clone War thing, the rise of the Clone Army. We've been wondering about that. I, I've been wondering about that since 1989. You know, when I first saw Star Wars Episode Four, the Separists are an interesting part of this yeah. because, and I'll get to this. I I kind of just want to give props where props are due here. The Palpatine's plan is kind of genius. Mm-hmm. Where 
He's consolidating power in the Republic. Mm -hmm. At the same time, he's rising up a rebellion within the Republic itself. Yeah. He's in charge of both of those things Mm -hmm. at the same time Mm -hmm. and playing them against each other so that he gets legally granted emperor powers. Yeah. And then because he's in control of the rebellion, which caused the need for emperor powers, he squishes the rebellion, Mm -hmm. which only fortifies the Republic's desire to keep him emperor. Yeah. Like, it's kind of a genius plan. Yeah, I I remember a long time ago seeing this and thinking that it was commentary on 9-11 and George Bush and that it was a little too much, a little heavy-handed. But to be honest, it's, it's not all that different from what we're seeing politically now where you have, uh, you know, Trump, and I know we don't get a lot of this on the show, but you have Trump, you know, really activating a part of society that feels put down, but then he's also the most powerful person in the country. And so you do see a little bit more parallel there. Obviously, it was not something that George Lucas had in mind at the time. It's kind of, I mean, it's your classic, it's your classic strong man. I mean, like, uh, you know, tyrant dictator yeah. storyline, yeah. right? Except it is the added kind of genius of Palpatine to be in charge of the group against him as well. Yeah. Secretly yeah. in charge of the group against him so that he has complete control over the situation at any given time. Yeah. And that's and the that's the real genius of it, right? Like, because you've got like your your Hitlers of the world or whatever who... Just demonize one group. They demonize one group and they rise up through... The ranks where, oh, this is an emergency power. I'll give it back as soon as I don't need it anymore. We're in this critical time for our country. You know, you've seen that over and over and over throughout history, even all the way back to Julius Caesar, right? Mm. And then people demand that they stay in office in perpetuity because they did such a good job with those powers. Yeah. And it's that, but then it's got the added twist that the only reason those powers needed to be granted is because of a situation he caused in the first place. Yeah. So he's easily able to put it down and just completely solidify his powers. That to me was just that part of it. I'm totally in on like it, it not only makes sense on how he got to power, it makes sense how he stayed in power and it really fortifies Palpatine as a, a, real valid and difficult foe yeah yeah i think that would be an interesting movie and then the other part of this movie that i actually liked was the transformation and rise of darth vader uh in anakin now i don't like how it was executed no it was executed horribly i do not like hayden christensen as an actor i thought that was bad casting and um, and then I also think Natalie Portman was not directed well in this film. I think she's a good actress, but I d- don't think that, that any of that was done well. But those are two interesting movies by themselves. But I don't think I think with one movie it's way too much because the even just the one plan of of uh, Palpatine coming to power is is kind of complicated and convoluted in itself, and it's supposed to be yes. But then to add a, a significant character development on top of that it's just like, it it's is way, way too, too much, much for one yeah. movie well and so i want to get into two things you talked about there number one yes hayden christensen is a very bad actor yeah. um i thought it was just george lucas and his bad writing because there are a lot of good really good actors in this movie that are made to look not as good because of the writing yeah. i mean not even the ones you realize right so you've got natalie portman 
you've got Ewan McGregor. In the first one, you have Liam Neeson. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Samuel L. Jackson. You've got... Um, I think Christopher Lee in this one, who plays Count Dooku, Christopher is Lee. the only one who outshines the direction the writing. he was given. Yeah. Because he, he's just such an amazing actor. And then even like uh, Ian McDiarmid, uh, the Emperor... Is, is Jimmy Smith, uh, who doesn't really get any lines in this movie, but no, but that's what that's my point though. The casting in this movie in general is phenomenal because yeah. you've got Jimmy Smith, you've got Rose Byrne is one of the handmaids. I totally wrote it down. I'm, um, yeah. but even and she doesn't. Rose Byrne has lines, but in the first one, Kira Knightley is one of the decoys. Oh, is she? Yeah, and so oh, um, you've got sense. her. Even the the lady that played Shmi is like an incredible foreign actor uh, in from like Switzerland, I think. You've got Joel Edgerton is. Uh, is in this movie. Really? He's the he's Luke's uncle. Uh, oh, he was really good. Yeah. He was really he, good. And so Joel Edgerton, who's like a huge star now, mm-hmm. you've got incredible casting yeah. in this movie, probably because everybody wants to be in a Star Wars movie, right? Yeah. But you literally could have anyone you wanted. That's the point. And any performance that you any wanted. Any performance you wanted, and you've got just star after star after star willing to take bit crap roles. Yeah. And you couldn't find a decent Anakin Skywalker between two shots at it. Yeah. You had Jake Lloyd first and Hayden Christensen, and both are just terrible. Yeah. That's a really tough look. It's because almost... it's so weird in the in the context of the rest of the casting is phenomenal. Yeah. It's almost like he, he had advice from somebody who's like, oh, you should do somebody like this. And I, to be honest, off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody... Who I would have picked. That actually would be a really fun activity. Maybe we'll argue about it on Twitter. But uh, thinking about who should have been cast instead of Hayden Christensen. But the the fact is, is that if anybody says Tobey Maguire, I will kill each and every one of you, <laughs> like all the Tuscan Raiders. Okay. He's not serious for anyone who's listening. But uh, the uh, yeah. But the fact is, is that it's almost like he got advice of like, hey, you should look at somebody who has got these kind of dramatic chops, and and he's just like, okay, great, and did not listen at all, and just went with whatever he thought was best, which was a poor choice. It was awful, and it's so that's a huge issue with the movie. I will yeah. say, and we'll get to it. Hayden Christensen is a slightly better actor in Revenge of the Sith than he is in Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones is yes. the peak of his awful. Um, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully we'd never see him in a Star Wars film again. But yeah. um, the please, other... J.J. Abrams, please. <laughs> if you do this to me, J.J. Abrams, in Episode Nine, I don't... Uh, woof. We're done. We're going to have a hard time here. Um, but the other thing that you brought up that I wanted to talk about was the fact that this was way too much for one movie. Mm-hmm. And the reason they did that or the reason I think that happened is because episode one didn't need to exist in the way that it did. Yeah. They start off with Anakin way too young. Way too early. Yeah. They could have very easily, because there's not, for as much as is packed into this movie, mm-hmm. there's a lot of fluff in Phantom Menace. Yeah, it's I, I think that's part of the reason I've never liked Phantom Menace is because it seems like a kid's movie... That, you know, it's like, oh, here's a fun little look into the Star Wars world where there's not actually any wars. And it's like, I get that. That might be an interesting, you know, now that they're doing one-offs to maybe do Anakin on Tatooine and pod races and make it a little more lighthearted. But um, almost more adventure movie style. But 
Sure. But the movie is called Star Wars, and you don't get any of that in one, and you get two major components of that in this movie. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Totally could have split them into two. Started they with should the have Wars started one. with Anakin somewhere in the, like, 16-year-old range, like teenage Anakin, and then not had a 10-year jump between one and two. And you could go from like 16 to like 19 or 20. Even if they just started with him at this age. and kept, Sure. You know, and just had basically two movies in the same time frame. That would be fine. Yeah. And it's very easy to... You can still get everything you wanted from one in terms of showing him as a child. Just do the Godfather style flashbacks. Flashback. Sure. The Godfather 2 style flashbacks where you see Vito as a young man in New York and his rise to be a mob boss. You could have done that so easily. Yeah. Because there's not that much that you actually want to show yeah. in episode one. There's probably, there, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes worth of like really valuable things there. Yeah. And you could have very easily done that in these flashback style, uh, this flashback style of, of movie making where he's an older person. And then it would have also allowed you, this is one of the other things that I wanted to get to, is... I don't. They don't show enough of Anakin growing up and growing into this person. It seems like such a sudden shift between, okay, he may be annoying, but he's a very innocent child, mm-hmm. to all of a sudden he's very haughty, he's very arrogant, he's very disrespectful, incredibly creepy. <laughs> you have all yeah. of these things, and all the only point of reference you have. To go from where he started was this 10-year-old Jake Lloyd character who, as annoying as he was, was incredibly kind and incredibly innocent. Yeah. I started... And so there's not enough events, mm-hmm. and we'll get to this more in Revenge of the Sith as well, there's not enough events between innocent uh, Jake Lloyd and full Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. you know, Hayden Christensen. Yeah. There's not enough plot points in between there for it to make sense. Yeah, I agree. I, I even started referring to him as Angstikin at one point in my... Uh, yeah, he's a, like an angsty just teen. Just so mopey. And, yeah. and to go from that to actually evil, more Darth Vader, which is a much more interesting transformation of his character. Um, you it know, happens so fast. What's funny about what you say about the flashbacks is um, I came up with a really out-of-the-box idea of what a better version of this movie would, would have been and follow me on this because it's it, you might not believe it at first when I say it but I think that the Captain Marvel template for a movie would have actually been overlaid on this movie really well at, for a character arc for Anakin uh, where it sort of like starts in the middle of their training and, and all this stuff and then there's these little bits and flashbacks of things that maybe don't even really make sense but as as she pieces them together throughout the movie, becomes the hero that she's supposed to be. Sure. If you'd done that with Anakin instead, just as a, I think what I really wanted from this movie was was seeing Anakin become more of Darth Vader. And I think if you'd done that, where he, where he's feeling a disconnect with his environment because, sure. and maybe we flash back to moments where he lost his his temper and anger, and maybe did something he regretted back on Tatooine. And had kind of these moments that, that build a narrative about his character that's like, maybe he's never really been in control. And so he's not just an angsty, mopey teen. Uh, he, he's somebody who has always wrestled with the dark side of himself. Sure. Um, I think that that's a really interesting template for what this movie could have been. Uh, you also, could have, of, you of also could have done it in a 
like a Wonder Woman style where you start the movie with her very young mm-hmm. um, in her uh, back in her original habitat mm-hmm. and everything and then you fast forward quickly yeah you know you know that's maybe 15 20 mm-hmm. minutes of the movie and then you fast forward the 10 years to where it makes sense that you yeah. start the story with yeah. I mean there's any number of different ways to have done this correctly uh-huh. George Lucas chose none of them yeah even the Luke template where you know in episode 4 where it's just like hey we don't know a lot about this guy's history, but uh, it, some of it's revealed through through plot and through characters, but some of it's not. Some of it's just a mystery, And but he rises to the circumstances, or in this case it would be false to the circumstances that he's in. Sure. And, you know, it's like a reverse hero's journey. It's what, I, know, this, I don't want to open this can of worms, but it's what Joker, I think, should have been and wasn't as much as, as I wanted. Sure, yeah. And, yeah, I just don't think there's enough... I don't think there's enough commonality between the initial Anakin that we see and the Anakin the, where he ends up. There, it doesn't. There's not. It doesn't make any sense. And yeah. he jumps from, you know, innocent child to angsty teen to murderous, most scary villain in movie history. Yeah, and I... and there's not enough in between there. Like I truly believe, like the second. And or at least like this, like the last half of the second movie into the first half of the third movie should have hit, been him doing shady things as Anakin while still a Jedi. Mm-hmm. Like because you see Palpatine's influence over mm-hmm. him, right? Mm-hmm. So you know maybe they assign him to Palpatine like they do in this movie to yeah. spy on him. But Palpatine obviously has this this hold over him. Mm-hmm. So before you even see him, he should have been doing shady things like progressively more dark side things over the course of like almost an entire movie before he gets chopped up but before the jedi even realize he's gone bad yeah you know before he even realizes he's gone bad yeah i i think yeah a part of that for me is that he's just not intelligent and devious enough as a character that it it just does not make him compelling because there are times where you're just like uh, you know Hannibal Lecter and uh, Darth Vader, you know the actual fully formed Darth Vader. Where sometimes the the villain themselves is just so far ahead of you, you don't think that there's any chance of the heroes catching up. And there's a thrill for an audience in that, where they they actually want. That's what the, I like the, the most about so compelling. That's what I like the most about Heath Ledger's Joker. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's there's a point. How in that, could Batman ever get through this? That's the thing. There's a point in that movie where you're just like he can't win. Yeah, you know, like yep. Batman cannot win because yep. he's so good, and there's part of you that roots for the Isn't Joker really sure. because yeah. of that. Yeah, you're like you're I res- you almost you're just like I respect how good he is at this. Yeah, it's like it, it's like this. It's like people that aren't aren't Patriots fans, but they they're still just like I can't help but enjoy how good Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are at this. It's yeah. too good. To hate, even if it's something you inherently aren't rooting for. Yeah, and and George Lucas accomplished none of that with with Hayden Christensen and with this plot line. Right. Um, there's it, nothing. There's there's no even when he's a child. At no point are you rooting for Anakin. <laughs> no, no. And but you're also not really rooting against him. I, I mean, like I don't like him, but he was just annoying. It's not a thing of like yeah, I like, really hope the heroes come squash him. It, Honestly, had he been hit by a speeder, I'd been like, "Oh, thanks, it's fine." You know, just there, nothing. There's nothing compelling about him, either positive or negative. Yeah, and that's just really tough, especially when that's what these three movies are all supposed to be about. 
Yeah. Um, so moving on a little bit, we kind of got a little sidetracked there, but I think we uh, we covered a lot of, of what the actual plot was. I needed to vent those feelings. I'm glad that you're on the same page. With no, me. I totally understand. Yeah, it, it should have been a movie that, it should have been a series that started with Anakin much older and showed much more of the actual emotional transformation, not just the physical transformation at the end of, a spoiler, of Revenge of the Sith. With a much better actor as well. Yes, that's also true. Um, so, I want to get to Count Dooku. As I said, it's really... It's disappointing to me that they chose to kill Darth Maul yeah. and just bring in someone who easily could have still been Darth Maul. Um, Had George Lucas not introduced his dumb rule of two thing, which, by we'll get to that too, actually... But you could have them both. We could have had yeah, all three. They're actually a pretty nasty team. I I liked Christopher Lee's performance. Yeah. And, and so if I could have had all three, I would have taken all three. And I don't understand what. First of all, I don't understand the introduction of the rule of two in in episode one. But then also, it's not true because there obviously have been three. He's such a powerful uh, Jedi that he flipped at some point, obviously. And yeah. So the the explanation, quote unquote, for this is that. He wasn't technically anyone's apprentice. He was just doing... So he wasn't technically a Sith. He was just doing dark side stuff on his own, uh, which is a nonsense cop-out answer. <laughs> um, the other thing is, and this comes up in, I think, the Clone Wars, so I don't know if this plot point was played out beforehand, which is part of the reason they did it, but apparently Count Dooku, part of the reason he leaves the Jedi is because he's from a very like wealthy family on his planet. And because you have to, like, uh, denounce possession and all those kind of things, you're just like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> He's just too rich. Which I kind of get. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's not a terrible take by Count Dooku. Um, but part of the reason that's important is because he is the one that paid for the clone army. Oh, interesting. So, and so, like, because when he talks about Tyrannus, yeah, yeah. that's Count Dooku. And again, all of that was convoluted. But another another thing that but I... But none of that is actually revealed in this movie, right? No, yeah. And this is all things that you have to get from extracurricular yeah. Star Wars stuff, which I don't... I like having that stuff out there to fill out the to fill out the, the, um, the universe, but having a reason why Count Dooku had to be introduced is to me an important thing yeah well and and another idea there is what if count dooku was still a jedi but one who thought that he was doing the right thing which you sort of get a hint of you know at the end where he kind of gives his little speech which is probably one of the better version of things in the movie where he's just like you know hey you guys are missing it entirely you're not seeing what's really happening and i'm the only one who knows and that's that's a, convel- a compelling way to get someone uh, who thinks that they're still a Jedi, essentially, to yeah. to go do the wrong thing is because they think they're doing it for the right reasons. Right. Um, and, well, and I wanted to bring that up is when, Count, when Obi-Wan gets captured and Count Dooku comes in and speaks with him, mm-hmm. everything he says is true. Yeah. I mean, literally, he's not lying to Obi-Wan at all. Mm-hmm. He tells him that the... Uh, that the Republic has been taken over by the Sith. Mm-hmm. True. Mm-hmm. He tells him that the Separatists are fighting against that, which is also true. It almost makes you wonder how much control that the Emperor actually had over Dooku. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why he eventually is 
okay with Anakin killing him so unceremoniously. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like Dooku's kind of just a loose cannon almost he's, a he's little rogue, bit. Yeah. And But they could have done that better. They could have done it better, but there there's a part of that scene where you think, Oh, if he gets enough Jedi, he might move against the Emperor. Yeah. Like he might move against who's not the Emperor yet, but you mm-hmm. might he might actually move like he might be doing this because he actually wants a separatist movement mm-hmm. and if he gets enough Jedi to join him, would move against Palpatine. Yeah. Now and, and that would to me would be very interesting, but it never fleshes itself out. It's yeah. just one fleeting scene because there's too much in this movie. Yeah. Speaking of the separatist movement, that's something that I kind of had a problem with in this movie. Uh, just knowing f- episodes four, five, and six in advance, uh, it for me it, it was personally confusing that the separatists in this movie um, are not the rebels in the in four, five, six, and so there's just, like, so many moving parts through this universe. There's I think a bit of a disconnect. Yeah, I think it would have been more interesting if Palpatine was kind of leading the Separatist movement, movement to take control over the Empire, uh, almost more from the outside, than trying to do this playing the inside thing, and that the Republic actually becomes the Empire, and where do the Separatists really fit in and all of that is that the, that's not that's not the birth of the rebellion, is it? Or maybe no, maybe. it's not because now I think you probably I think a lot of the individual systems that are separatists probably become the uh, the rebellion. Yeah. Um, but the actual like infrastructure, the droid armies, and everything else was all raised up by Palpatine. So that's yeah. all squashed when he takes over the. It just feels Empire. like one thing too many in this universe that we maybe didn't need. Yeah, um, like I said earlier, I kind of like the machinations of the Emperor taking control, so I don't yeah. mind it in that sense. I guess if it were... It would have made a little more sense to me if there was a direct one-to-one of he tries to put down the Separatists, but they become the Rebellion. Sure, yeah. That would have made a little more sense to me. But, it, yeah, I mean, you end up having Obi-Wan you know, fighting with the Republic and then eventually fighting against the Empire, sure. which is the same entity. Yeah. And uh, it does. It just kind of, like it just adds a little too much confusion into the whole thing. I think that part of it. I don't know. That part of it makes sense to me though, because it it makes more sense with the infrastructure and everything that the Empire has that they were already the established. I agree. It's just along with like the Senate existing and still being a part of four, five, and six or yeah. four at least. You know, that part of it, I think, makes sense. It's just more that like a Hitler-style takeover of that establishment and using right. that machine. I mean, that's essentially what that's essentially what Palpatine does. Yeah, it's just with that added. It's just know, instead of having a real threat, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, he created the threat to give himself the power. Sure. Um, so I, I don't actually have a huge problem with that. Um, it does, again, it becomes way less convoluted if... This is split into two movies, and you have time to explain these things in a little bit greater detail. Yeah, depth. if the Separatist movement being put down was episode one, and then the the character arc of Darth Vader begins more in two, or end one into two, that kind of thing does tend to make more sense. Yeah, I, I totally agree there. I think the plot itself is compelling, and I enjoy that. I just think they do a very poor job of explaining it in the context of this movie. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to, uh, as we were saying, the big Anakin turn, since you brought that up, mm-hmm. uh, which is basically 
he's having these visions about his mother being in pain and being in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, he can't hold them off any longer, so him and uh, Padme leave Naboo and go back to Tatooine mm-hmm. to uh, find his mother, who he finds out has been kidnapped several weeks earlier by Tusken Raiders and is most likely dead as Klieg, yeah. uh, Klieg Lars, her now husband, slash owner. Former owner, he freed her. Yeah, her. that's a weird dynamic there. I mean, I, I bought it, uh, mostly because I, I really enjoyed his performance, even especially... Yeah, I didn't mind the performance, but okay, so basically, this is how I envision it. Maybe I'm just a pessimist and a mm-hmm. jerk, but... So he buys her as a slave, mm-hmm. right, from Watto, um, who's now Italian, apparently, <laughs> but whatever. Um, so he buys her as a slave. He presumably falls in love with her. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, hey, I'll free you if you marry me. Like, that's not, like, a lot of options for her. It's like, I could be a slave or I could be his wife. Yeah. Maybe I'm not in love with him, but better than being a slave. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's – maybe that's not the dynamic. Maybe that's not how it went. But, like, that's definitely on the table. Yeah. So, interestingly, I think that this this also hits one of the biggest problems that I had with this movie. And I feel like this is probably as good of a time as any to talk about it is that – I'm not sure that in a post-Me Too world, this movie gets made, especially not the way that it is, because you have the slave-to-wife thing, but then you also have, you know, you, you kind of casually mentioned it, it's like, oh, you know, Padme and Anakin, they go to Tatooine to try to save his mom. That's after, for half of the movie, more than half the movie, her rejecting his weird advances and finding him extremely creepy and uncomfortable. She literally says the, the words... Don't look at me like that. And he goes, why? And he goes, because you're making me uncomfortable. Yes, yeah, seriously. Like, that's a that, that's a quote in the movie. Yes, yeah, I, I wrote and that down. also a proper response to how he's acting. Yes, absolutely. And so then... Like, she's not out of line there at all. Like, he's being creepy. Yeah, and, and something that I actually would have found really interesting in this movie is if her character change had been related to him acting upon her with the Force in some way... Uh, or you know, using his sort of Sith influence, uh, and, and part of that growing in him is actually their relationship being a fraud. I think would have been interesting because so I it would act- explain some problems with the movie. I actually do think their relationship's a fraud, but not because of the Sith thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's like a um, it's not quite a Stockholm syndrome, but they're there on Naboo, trapped together because he has to be there to protect her. She has to be there to not be dead. And basically, he's continually. It's like it's it's like a dis, it's like a displacement, right? Mm-hmm. So she he's continually saving her life, mm-hmm. and she's mistakes her gratitude for that eventually for love. Okay, I mean, I I could buy that, and that also explains like they never communicate in any meaningful way. It's just weird middle school stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in both this movie and in Revenge of the Sith, they never have any like. Their connection seems almost visceral, and there's almost like no real, there's no like real uh, intellectual or emotional connection to their relationship at all. Yeah. Um, and so it's almost like you just have this like, hey, you're attractive, I'm attractive, we're stuck here, you saved my life a lot, maybe this is affection. And then they get in too deep, too fast in terms of their situation. Yeah. 
So it's like, well, I guess we have to get married now because basically he's defying the Jedi in order to be with her. Mm-hmm. She knows that he slaughtered an entire village of yeah. Tusken Raiders. Yeah. So like they're in too deep together. So like, and they're the only one, they're like in a vacuum almost, and they're the only ones that understand the situation. And so their bond to the situation, I think, is mistaken for a bond to each other. Yeah, although I have to say that she gets over him killing the Tusken Raiders way too fast. Like, this is a pretty big reveal in the movie. And, and so, I actually so I have of, a hot take on the Tusken Raiders. Yeah. I don't mind it. No, the funny thing is, I think it's one of the best scenes of the movie. No, not even just the scene. Like, I don't mind the slaughtering of the whole village. <laughs> and hear me out, okay? okay I'm going to have to. <laughs> what do we know about the Sand People, right? What do we know about them? The only interactions we ever have with them, they're doing terrible things. Uh-huh. They're either just randomly, like, killing and looting people on Tatooine, uh-huh. like you see in Episode 4... Or they're, like, abducting strange women. And, I mean, I don't, is the implication that she's being kept alive to just, like, rape? I don't... It's, it's, it definitely seems like that. That was the implication I got, was yeah. that she was being kept as, like, a sex slave, basically. Yeah. Because um, why else is she alive? And tied at up. At that point. Right. You, yeah. don't, you know, like, she's obviously been beaten and abused, but, like, so... What do... I mean, are there any good sand people? Like, are the sand people just an inherently evil, like, are they one of the, like, just an inherently evil creature that George Lucas has created? I mean, okay. we, we don't see any redeeming value to sand people at any point, I don't think, do we? Okay, so I, I, I understand that, but one of the things that I find problematic with their slaughter, um, and also with that whole plot line, is... That it seems to continue down this route that we started in episode one, where George Lucas is a little too comfortable uh, writing off certain races or, or even writing certain races as a, as a big stereotype. And a lot of the stuff that was said about the the Tuscan Raiders in this movie, about how uh, they're just animals and there's nothing, I, I can't find the exact quote, but they're, they're just animals and there's nothing good in them is the kind of stuff that people have said about minorities throughout True. history in our world as an excuse to slaughter them. So that, for me, was the reason why, uh, you know, I don't know if there's anything redeeming about them or so not. So I didn't immediately make that connection. It, which um, <laughs> it makes it a little but, heavier. Um, yeah, I mean, at one point he says, they're animals and I slaughtered them like animals. Mm-hmm. Anakin says that. And that was after Klieg said more or less the same thing. Yes. Um, but... Also, we're kind of led to believe that, like, Klieg and and the Lars family in general are good people. Yeah, so, there's a lot there. Cause, so cause, is it, that's what, like, is it true? Like, are they actually some form of animal? Like, I don't, it's it's unclear, right? Well, so, yeah, uh, here's the exact quote. Klieg says, Tuscans walk like men, but they're vicious, mindless monsters. And... I don't know, like, maybe that's true, but again, I think... That's my thing, like, are they actually monsters? Are they just a Star Wars monster? Yeah. And, you know what I mean? And the thing is, is that had had Lucas not set himself up in the first movie to look racist, then I probably wouldn't even be thinking this, but coming out of episode one, where the Gungans are extremely problematic, where the Trade Federation is an Asian stereotype, 
and all the things we talked about in the last episode, then I've got that on the brain watching this movie. And sure. it's like, they walk like men, but they're vicious, mindless monsters, which is the exact same thing that was used to justify African slavery, was that they're not like us. They look like us, but they're not like sure. us. Sure, yeah. And that is, when you put it in that context, it is extremely problematic. Um, if you put it in the context of their Star Wars monsters... Uh, I didn't really have a problem with him slaughtering a whole village of them. Well, and, and here's my thing: is that even if, even if they uh, are redeemable people or have redeeming qualities to them that are just misunderstood and whatever, I still think it's one of the best scenes in the movie in the sense that it's finally Anakin not being angsty and whiny. It's him giving into his feelings, which we know is part of the dark side. Sure. And and it's the only real moment of transformation for his character. The rest is just whining for most of the movie. And finally, it it's weird that like the one thing that I like about the movie is, is the most problematic is that him going and finally killing people instead of just whining the whole movie. Yeah, and so I feel like this would have been a good like final turning point. For him, because as you said, he basically just goes from being a whiny yeah. person who doesn't think that Obi Wan respects him enough, doesn't mm-hmm. think the Jedi Council uh, that doesn't think the Jedi Council trust him enough. Mm-hmm. He goes from that and basically doing nothing wrong except for being a little arrogant yeah. to mass murderer. Yeah. So there's no mini steps of like, oh, the Emperor has him carry out this mission that's not exactly for what the Jedi want, but. He doesn't see anything wrong with it because he agrees with Palpatine's purpose or like little stuff like that. And you know how they could have fixed that is if if his big betrayal of the Jedi earlier in the movie was just, uh, you know, cut out all of the weird uh, Padme finds him creepy thing and just have him fall in love early in the movie, get married early in the movie. Now they're keeping a secret from the Jedi. So now he's already down a path of of, uh, Of separation from the Jedi. Sure. From them. And and then uh, she gets sucked into his saving of the mom thing because it's her husband now or sure. her boyfriend or whatever. Yeah, and they're attached. And then when he kills all of them, and she, it's it's not so much her just be like, oh, that's probably not a big deal. I should marry him anyway. She's already married. She's already stuck to him. And and now she has to reconcile how to deal with that. That's a much more interesting movie to me. It also makes her turn in Revenge of the Sith. She doesn't really turn. But, you know, she says, okay, you know, you're not the person I knew. You're not the person I fell in love with. Yeah. When he's on. yeah. Like, that makes that turn make a lot more sense as well. Yeah, it's like, we were young, dumb teenagers, and we got married, or, you know, young 20s, and we got married. It's not a big deal. Uh, but you started killing people. Yeah. It's not like you left your, your socks out of the hamper. It's like you started being a murderer. But at this point, also... Um, and we'll get into Revenge of the Sith, obviously, next week. Yeah, but, I actually haven't watched it yet, so I... Um, you know, you've got... Her turn against him becomes about much more than just... You used to believe in democracy. Like, <laughs> that's like a big part of it when yeah. she finally... Because she doesn't really believe that he kills younglings. Like, she doesn't really believe that. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that he has a history of killing children, yeah. a.k.a. sand people, right? Yeah. Um, so I agree with that take actually that, that it would make a lot more sense if they were married earlier in the movie. Also, it makes it way less creepy. Oh, so much um, less creepy. Including early on, um, she, when they, when they run into each other for the first time, she is kind of creepy. She goes, Annie, my goodness, you've grown. And it just, it sounds like that old, like, 
It actually reminded me of the scene in the West Wing where they're all like kind of talking about how much Zoe Bartlett has grown up. And yeah, it's like, well, this is all just kind of creepy. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, like, oh yeah, you're... president's daughter, teenager, it's stop like, talking about how attractive she oh, is. Oh, you've grown up nicely. It's like, I, we all know what that means. Stop saying that. Yeah. Um, so let's just do the Padme and Anakin thing now because I think we mostly have hit the major plot points in terms of our issues with them. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the actual plot of the movie. So let's do... Oh, the one last thing that I forgot to mention is you also get your first glimpse of the uh, of the Death Star here. That's part of the at the very end of the movie. Oh, the Separatists have um, the plans for the Death Star. They've got a hologram. Oh, and, I missed that. And then Dooku takes it to um, takes it to Palpatine. Oh, and I totally missed that. Um, I I must have at the that's at the very end of the movie. I think they're cutting back and forth. Um, it's after, it's after um, Dooku flees from his fight with uh, Yoda, and he goes back to um, he gets the blueprints for the Death Star, and he t- before he goes back to uh, Palpatine. So I noticed the they're star, kind of cutting, the star destroyers and stuff, and that yeah, was they, cool. you're starting to see it look more like the the, the ships and everything that yeah. you see in in uh, in the later movies. But um, let's do the Padme and. Let's do the Padme and Anakin relationship now because we've already gotten into it quite a bit. But yeah. so part of what is, and we've actually talked about this a lot. I think there's a little bit of a, I don't know that she actually falls in love with him. I just think that she has this misplaced gratitude because he is saving her a lot. And then also they just, like I said, get so deep into this situation together that you feel a bondedness to the person going through that situation with you. I wish that were true, <laughs> but... Uh, I'm believing that's true because I, that's the only way I can continue to watch these. <laughs> I feel like there's evidence to the contrary um, when when they're back on one of the planets. Probably. Uh, there were too many planets, but... Yes. Um, you know, Anakin says, don't be afraid. She says, I'm not afraid to die. I've been dying a little bit each day since you came back into my life. And it, I think what George Lucas was trying to do is that she does feel a strong attraction to him. Yes. And she's playing hard That's to get That's on Geonosis it. after they're captured. It is on Geonosis, and I wrote that down. but uh, Nailed I, it. Yeah. I know what happens in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he's like, you love me? I thought we had decided not to fall in love. That would be forced, uh, that we would be forced to live a lie, and it would destroy our lives. And she's like, well, we're about to be destroyed anyway, so I love you. Let's get married. That's what I mean, though. Like, they're in this situation, uh-huh. and they're so deep into this situation yeah. already where it's like, oh, we're about to die, so I might as well confess my love to you. Yeah. That's also, by the way, right before, this is not to do with Anakin and Padme, but uh, she jumps down from that, like, 30-foot-tall tower and lands crotch first on that dinosaur thing. So does Anakin at one point. Oh, my That can't feel gosh. good for anyone. Like, also, problematic in that scene. <laughs> So she is fully clothed at the start of the scene, right? Yeah. And then she there's a point where the the animal like scratches her high on the back, like shoulder blade uh-huh. level, and then she has a midriff. Yeah. And it's like that's not where the animal scratched her. Number one, two, it's like a perfect midriff. Like it's not like tattered clothing or anything. Uh-huh. It's and then so she just George Lucas was just like we just need to we just need you to be showing half your torso in this shot. Okay, so, uh, so I wondered. I I didn't write it down, but I thought. I was like, did her outfit change? Because I remember, actually, I commented on it, how she started to look more like Princess Leia when they put her in the white. Yeah. And I liked that. I thought that was really cool. That was a cool move, yes. Um, especially because, you know, they've been doing such Shakespearean-type costumes for, for them, including 
Uh, you know, one of the things I wrote about Jimmy Smith was that like they put him in this big puffy, you know, Shakespearean. And his hair thing, was terrible. They give him a bad haircut, and it's like, Terror. of course, George Lucas is the only person who can make Jimmy Smith look unattractive. <laughs> and you know that whatever you know, I'm not trying to say I find him attractive, but I also would. He's not like want, an objectively attractive guy. I wouldn't want him to spend uh, you know time alone with with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I trust my wife, but you know. It's pretty attractive. Let's it's Jimmy Smith. I mean, my wife probably doesn't want him to spend time alone with me. Like, let's be honest here. Um, good looking fella. But um, the, no, so uh, back to the uh, Padme Anakin situation. Uh, oh, but no, with the midriff, yeah, mm-hmm. the, there's an animal that scratches her high on the back. And yeah. I think we're led to believe that it rips part of her shirt. But uh. the rip. And the scratch do not occur in the same place. Yeah. And it's like a, again, it's like a perfect cutoff midriff at that point. Yeah. It's just a weird, it's like, yeah. George, stop being creepy. Yeah. Just yeah. stop being creepy for like 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, anyway. I that. So, uh, yeah, you've got, and then you've, <laughs> just their whole, so you've got this horrible, just horrible interactions on Naboo. Yeah. Where... Like, the scene where they're rolling around, I just, no one has, they're not on a hill. They're literally just rolling. <laughs> I put, it And was, I don't understand, like, why? It was Sound of Music made Jurassic Park, is what that scene looked like. It did, but why are they rolling? Um, well, yes, just, and, and also, just her change from, from... Like really being put off from by him. you're making me uncomfortable. Yeah, and 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 around that same time, I think it's right around in that same section. Um, they're at that lake house in Naboo, and Padme tells this really sweet story about uh, oh, I used to come here as a kid, and we would lay out in the sand and warm ourselves, and blah blah blah. <laughs> and he goes, I hate sand. He's, I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating. It gets everywhere. So it's like, okay, first of all, you're not a very good listener. You're a very poor date because you're very grumpy and angsty. But and also, it's like she wasn't talking about the sand. The sand was an ancillary character yeah, in yeah. that story. But but then he turns it so fast. He goes, everything here is soft and smooth. And then he, like, touches her yeah, back. Yeah, he, like, creepy. he, like, well, touches her back and, like, touches her arm. Like, look how soft you are. <laughs> I love how smooth your skin is. It would make a wonderful lamp. <laughs> like, it's so creepy. <laughs> and he's got, he actually bites his lip. He bites oh, his lip before he man. says that. He's oh. like... <laughs> Everything here is soft and smooth. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Oh yeah, there's. He would not do well on Tinder. He would get. I mean, he like people would. He would only get one date, and they'd be like, "I gotta go." <laughs> Don't let Anakin pick you up for a Tinder date. Like, drive separately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, he might take you on a uh, on a mass murder spree of, of Tuscan villagers. But yeah, and the funny thing is, I mean, she marries him after he says she's like she says to him, "You're not all powerful, Annie." And he goes, "Well, I should be. One day I will be." Girl, drop him. Like yeah, that's, that's not somebody you want to some problematic hit your wagon to. Yeah, I there's that's why to me yeah. it's like it has to be like a weird Stockholm syndrome thing. It has to. Yeah, and I choose to believe that regardless of whatever evidence you have to present to me that it's not true <laughs> I'm choosing to believe that because I choose to believe that the mother of Princess Leia was not just a flaming idiot <laughs> and I mean there probably does have to be more going on on her part because he's got that robot skeleton hand at the end I mean like the when, while you're getting married if that's the cold hand that you're clutching 
Maybe it's a sign. <laughs> Literally. I'd say it's some like not so shuttle, subtle uh, foreshadowing there yeah. by George Lucas. Yeah. He's more machine now than man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Now, I will say that just completely writing those characters better uh, would have been a, a would have helped a lot choice. yeah and would have helped and i mean him, you didn't have to make him the creepiest human being alive yeah well that's like, a choice there should have been like two minutes of hard to get but then you know they sneak away afterwards and be like sorry i had to put on that face for them but i really love you and then like for the rest of the movie they could have been on the same team but or even just like okay he attempts she rejects him uh-huh. he's not creepy yeah, and then she starts to see him in a different light. Yeah, especially I mean, it's a classic like they act. There's so much ship blowing up and all that kind of ship. I said uh, blowing up. Um, <laughs> I just know. shipped my pants. <laughs> you, you remember that like Kmart commercial oh, yeah. or whatever? I, I just it. shipped my drawers. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there were so many ships and things blowing up that I mean, the classic like her falling on top of him and being like, "Oh, hey there," you know, like that could have been easy. 10 minutes into the movie and we yeah. could have avoided all of this. But George Lucas really shipped his bed there on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Way to bring that around. Hold uh, on. <laughs> um, so I'm done on Anakin and Padme. That's all I have. I don't, I don't really, I don't know how much more we need to go into that. No. Can I say that one, one thing that I do have to really appreciate is that after everybody completely hated on Jar Jar in the first movie. George got a hint, and he's barely in this movie. I think, honestly, not only is he barely in this, but, like, his one scene is to give the Emperor, like... Or to give Palpatine Emperor powers. So, I think it was like, hey, you can root against him now. He's the worst. uh, Although, George, I don't know that he's actually that self-aware because he still claims that Jar Jar is his favorite character. Yeah, that he would want to be Jar Jar if he could be any character from the universe, is what he said. Which, I think, given his level of intellect, it might be his best shot as well. (laughs) I don't think it's an intellect problem. Social awareness, uh, definitely. Uh, But, no, because he is early in the movie, and and, uh, Misa busting with happiness to see you, Annie. And then... Annie gets uh, Anakin gets really uh, mopey and uh, and shocking emo yeah and, and she hardly even recognized me Jar Jar and I was like you know be really funny Something- you know why she doesn't recognize you because you're a literal different person <laughs> <laughs> also double the age that you were before so it's like fifth yeah. grader to college student it's sometimes a little hard to recognize people so maybe she shouldn't have been yeah like people the there's people i went to high school with like i grew a beard and i have glasses now mm-hmm. like there's people in high school from i went to high school with that don't recognize me sometimes you were one of like three indian kids at the school <laughs> how can they not right they're like wait which one are you <laughs> um so that was uh, there was another. I can't remember what it was. There was another issue that I had. Shocking, uh, but the yeah the oh okay there was the age thing with with a shocking not between Anakin and Padme just the entire so her entire lifeline is on a weird uh, age trajectory right so mm. we find out that the Queen of Naboo is an elected position yes. Which, okay, fine, you call it a queen instead of a president. I a little don't, bit weird, but yeah. Weird, I, but I can deal with it. I noticed that. But, so she was, she's supposed to be 14 in the first movie. Uh-huh. 
she was elected as a 14-year-old queen? Oh, that's fair. That's a fair point. That's why... If what? She were, if she were 18 in the first movie... Still weird. A little bit weird, but it, you have to assume that they're probably part of some line or something. That they used to have to be elected, but whatever. Yeah, that, that, I don't know, but I don't know because the, the next queen doesn't appear to be... like. She doesn't act like she's related to Padme. Oh, hey, real quick, I did want to talk about the that queen because uh, I. But as far as I know, before she, just oh, real quick before we get there, so not only was she elected as a fourteen-year-old queen, but now she's a twenty-four-year-old galactic senator. Yeah, they, like what is happening here? Yeah, and also, like nobody else. Really, Who's electing these children? <laughs> and nobody else really looks ten years older. Shmi doesn't look ten years older. Um, it, uh, uh, no, literally the only person in the in the. Obi-Wan, I will give you because he's got the longer hair and he's got the beard. Like, okay, I'll buy it. It's a little, yeah, sure. hard to date. Samuel L. Jackson doesn't age. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. The But really, the only person that looks 10 years older in this movie, it's like, okay, Anakin is 10 years older. Padme is the exact same age. It's, it's how it looks. Yeah. Or the three years older. Between the movies. That it actually took to, to film the movies or whatever. Yeah. So, but that was just so weird to me. And then she mentions, I wasn't the youngest queen elected. <laughs> So, like, somewhere there was, like, a 12-year-old queen of Naboo. Yeah. And she's, like, and, but she also says, but now that I look back at it, I don't think I was ready. You were 14. No kidding. <laughs> you weren't ready to be the leader of a planet. You should be reading Tiger Beat magazine. Like, and... what? I, anyway, so I just, I don't, I had a large issue with that. Because I assumed, queen, that it was an inherited position. Yeah. Right? But, yeah. no, she says, before, she said, when I was elected queen. Yeah. Like, yeah. like what? I actually I did notice that because I, I even earlier she's like former uh, they say former queen or something like that about her and it's like oh did she get were you deposed like no 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 yeah. she just she aged out of or she uh, she went Term she limits. served her two her two terms yeah so she was washed up by twenty four like oh no don't worry you get to be like an ambassador to the UN basically yeah. at twenty four that makes sense yeah uh, so I, I I mentioned the other the new queen I like her a lot. Her name is Queen Jamilia, and she's played by Aisha Darker, and uh, I think she's the only Indian actor, at least the only one that I've noticed in all of the Star Wars films, so I, I wanted to give her a special shout yeah, out. Yeah, represent. Now, I will say, uh, her only other notable film roles are Outsourced and The Terrorist, which, um, I mean, just... Probably problematic. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm saying that, like, that's that's pretty much how we get stereotypes. Not, I, so. not ideal. Yeah, it's like... Outsourced IT or, you know... Outsourced is literally a, a movie about IT being outsourced to India. I think or it's a show. It was it's a show. Not, uh, well, there was a, a movie first and then the show. Oh, okay. But, and she, I think she was in the movie. Okay. Um, I can't, can't remember if it was IT or another customer service. Thing, I think it was, it was a call center, I think. Yeah. Uh, but still. But still. Very stereotypical. Yeah. Anyway. Um, um, but good for her. I was glad she was in the movie. Yeah, no, that's... Uh, that's a nice, nice little uh, representation. I'm I, happy to, I also happy noticed to see that Rose Byrne is the handmaid, as you mentioned. Or, yep, and uh, she's great in the movie Adam. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's I, I haven't. I like Rose Byrne a lot in general, though. That's a great movie. Um, she's in Neighbors, which I have not seen that. It's really, really funny. I, yeah. it's I mean, it's a horrible movie in terms. It's just like really <laughs> raunchy, but it's really funny. Yeah. Um, probably my favorite, either that or Baywatch is my favorite uh, Zac Efron performance. Uh, which, not Greatest Showman? I haven't seen Greatest Showman. Oh, that's good. I don't have children, so... It's not a children's movie. Eh, it feels like a children's it's movie. It's a music... You're maybe not into musicals. Either. Not so much. I had some bad experience with the musical folk. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, so that's basically... 
I had a couple questions that I want to address here. Do you have anything else in terms of the plot of the movie or any like nitpicks? Uh, I have a pretty severe nitpick okay. with the diner scene. Um, okay, sure. Early in the movie, there's this... Because like, mine's like, get your nitpicks out, because I have like an existential question, and then we probably need to wrap up. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's this like 1950s-ish um, Amer- Americana-type diner, and there's this female robot who comes in, and she's like, being all slangy, and she's like, you want a cup of Jawa juice? And but my thing is just like, how w- there's no cultural reference for this in, in in the entire Star Wars universe. Like there, there's no, it's like a weird a, fan service almost. But like no one was asking for I, it. I, was say, I don't think it's fan service. I think it's George Lucas just being like, well, here's a neat new different thing, and it's just like, it's not. It doesn't fit because America doesn't exist in this galaxy, and all of our cultural things. It would actually make sense for this to exist. It just. It is I, so I almost wonder here. if it's like a like a call out to his like American graffiti days. I wondered, maybe. Um, but I don't know. I think he just likes that time period. I think he likes the like fifties and sixties like cars and diners. I think that's so why I don't know if it's just like fan so, service to himself almost. Yeah, yeah. Which so, is just called self indulgence. Yeah. <laughs> so that for me, uh, there were quite a bit of stuff that seemed, quite a bit of things that seemed really cartoony in this movie. Um, I actually liked the Jedi Library. I thought that was a really cool. Although the librarian thing. kind of a witch. Yeah, and also uh, totally wrong. Uh, yeah, just like incredibly good. like myopic. Like, well, if yeah. we don't have it, it obviously doesn't exist. Yeah, couldn't possibly be something wrong with anything. Um, and then, which kind of a larger. Uh, this is what's wrong with the Jedi situation yeah, there. The, but the Jedi training facility looked really cartoony though, and. Um, I also, so this is one of my big, huge problems with this movie, is that the fight at the end, um, and this is related to the diner in, in my mind, where the fight at the end, where it's just the clone troopers are all CG and the battle droids are all CG. Sure. Uh, I mean, it's so chaotic at one point. It's just like, how is everybody not just getting Swiss cheese at this point? Uh, because it just seems like they're... Yeah, because they're literally fighting with laser guns. Yeah, there's laser guns going everywhere. Yeah. And yet somehow everybody's like blocking with their one lightsaber. And and it just, uh, to me, it's just like, I miss the days of the practical sets where there had to be a human in every Stormtrooper co- costume. And, uh, and I think when you get to 7 and 8 and 9, where they go back to more of that... It's way better. It's a, it's a better integration of the technology and the... Yes. Uh, and the practical effects. I agree with that. Somebody has said, somebody said along the way that there was more CG in episode seven than there was in episode one, and that they're yeah, actually. Yeah, but it's a like a million times better. It's, well, not only is it a million times better, but the usage of it, the, how discerning you are with, you know, I don't care if you paint the space background in CG. I care if somebody is standing in an actual room or if they're talking to another actual person. Right. Instead of full CG characters. Of fighting it out because it lowers the stakes too far, and that is something that, that was one of the other things that I wanted to bring up was what I mean. Basically, at one point when Yoda comes in with the clones, mm-hmm. he's basically using them as human shields for the Jedi. Yeah, and yeah. he's like, "Hey, create a perimeter around the survivors." Yeah. With your bodies, like <laughs> oh, I thought he meant with the with the ship guns, but no, because they the ship guns pick up the Jedi and leave. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So basically, he's using the clones as human shields, and so it's like, what are the ethics here? Of like, do we treat them like actual people? Or are they not like? I because I'm fine yeah. with like the droids, yeah. whatever their machines. Even though like even you get a little issues with the ethics of it because mm. droids 
are basically the pets of Star Wars, and they're, I mean, you obviously they've got human connections, especially like BB-8 and and Poe, um, but R2 and Luke, yeah, yeah. like C-3PO and Anakin, like there's human connections between. So even that's a little problematic for mm-hmm. me, but the ethics of like, okay, these are living, breathing things that are just being used as like meat shields, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like, so the ethics of that get a little weird also. Yeah. And, and But I think that goes back to what you were saying is because it's all CG, it just completely dehumanizes the stakes of what's happening. Yeah, like that battle would have been really gory and awful if... And that's the other thing we don't realize is like because of the way... Okay, so, like, because of the way lightsabers work and they essentially cauterize a wound or whatever, mm-hmm. and also because of all the CG and stuff, you don't realize, like, these are incredibly violent movies. Yeah. And I don't yeah. necessarily have a problem with that, but, like, I, just more, I feel yeah. like you need to have stakes attached to the violence. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just dumb action. It's just spectacle. Yeah. It's what Transformers became. Yes. You know, where you're, you're no longer just worried about one character surviving it you're you're knocking down entire cities and nobody really cares that's so and and that's really my one of my things with this this movie and all movies uh, of the action genre in general is just that like once you start making the effects too impractical and you start knocking down all these these big things or killing massive amounts of of things the The scale is too large the audience disconnects you need to care about two or three people maybe one or two and whether or not they're going to survive it. And and you actually need very little to make that possible. And I understand if you want to have, like, a huge battle scene, but you have to care about two or three people in the battle. Yeah, like Braveheart. In, yeah, Braveheart or The Patriot or whatever. I know we're going to a lot of Mel Gibson there. <laughs> that was kind of his genre there for a minute. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, so, by contrast, the fight between... Jango Fett and Obi-Wan was actually, in my mind, one of the best choreographed fights that's ever happened in, in Star Wars. Um, when they're on Kamino? Yeah, when they're on Kamino. I hate all the CG water and everything yeah. about it because it, it lowers the stakes again. And it's something that would have been a lot easier to shoot pretty practically. But again, he just makes his choice of, of using the, the cartoons instead. And I thought that was bad. But I, but if you actually look at the mechanics of that fight, there's a lot of really interesting things with the grappling hook and all that stuff that, that, that really challenge Obi-Wan and his skills. Sure. And, you know, takes place on multiple levels. And, all, and it, was, it was a really interesting fight, really visually interesting, except for the, the CG. Um, so the last thing I wanted to bring up here yeah. uh, is... Again, it's about the Jedi, and I know I brought this up in uh, the last episode, but the Jedi kind of suck, and more so here. Um, They're constantly telling... They're constantly being, like, incredibly dogmatic about the things you can and can't do. Like, you, you can't feel anything for anyone, but you're supposed to be compassionate, and they... They have all these rules, but they also don't have any, like, practical way of, like, oh, this is how this looks, this is how this plays out. Yeah. The other thing is, like, they insist at points that their their choices and their wisdom must be trusted, but they also are just completely blind to the situations that are happening. Yeah. Not only do you have a Sith Lord rising up in your ranks, you're continually going to him for help. You're encouraging the fact that he gets these emergency emperor powers. Mm-hmm. And... You're not even aware of the fact that one of that the strongest Jedi Padawan there ever was, really, in Anakin, is constantly in conflict about you know basically turning to the dark side, even though they're not using those terms with it. And 
it leads me to wonder do they and oh and not to mention it's been 10 years since you've seen Darth Maul Mm -hmm. and you just oh yeah and you're I guess I didn't think about that and you're not even you're not any closer to uncovering who the other Sith is you're not any close and and when Padme says you know when they're trying to figure out who's been killing they're trying to kill Padme they're like for 10 years now apparently we think it was the spice miners not the oh it might be Count Dooku who we know is out there doing craziness yeah. Because he used to be a Jedi, used to being the key word. Yeah. They're like, oh, he couldn't possibly be behind a murder attempt. He used to be a Jedi. Oh, my he God. He used to be a Jedi. He, he quit the club, He guys. quit because he was not up to your standards, quote, unquote. Yeah. Um, so that's really problematic for me. But also, I want to ask the question, do they actually believe the Sith could even exist again? Or are they so arrogant that they just don't believe? It's like, oh, there might be some like dark side users out there, but they're not really a threat to us. I mean, I so I think that what George Lucas has tried to do throughout these first three movies, I think him getting into some wonky, um, uh, you know, parallels between what happens to a great society when it declines. It's the same thing that happened to um, Germany. The same thing that that. Um, happened to Rome and, and you know, some would argue is happening in America. The the downfall of society and, and a lot of times the people at the top don't see it coming because they think they're in control. I think that's what he was trying to do. And I think he also covers his rear end a little bit with this like, oh, well, whenever there's dark, whenever the dark side is, is working, it actually dulls the, their powers. Uh, but they, they, they obviously don't seem all that concerned even about that like they know you know yoda says at one point he's like i can't see it or something like that he like knows he says it i think once in episode one he says it again here in episode two yeah that he's not able to see something because the dark side dark side but then they seem completely unconcerned like there's no urgency there there's no like hey let's figure this out there's none of that yeah they they, yeah, you're it's right. been ten years since they saw Darth Maul, and they're just like, "Dude, to do probably the spice miners." I forgot about that ten year gap. That that it makes them look way dumber. Yeah, it makes them look like they're just these arrogant idiots. Yeah, and it's like, like oh, we fixed it. We you that dude literally now. have supernatural powers. Yeah, yeah, and you can't. It, it's taking you ten years, and you're just like, oh, I guess there's no more problem. <laughs> Even though we insist that these people come in twos. Yeah. Yeah. By our own weird rules. Yeah. I don't I don't know that I really thought about that. I do know that I did not enjoy this movie at all. At, I I like it more than Phantom Menace. I had a better experience with Phantom Menace this time than I did many years ago. And I th- and I think I had a worse experience of this movie now than I did many Probably. years ago. Probably. And part of the reason is because I hated Phantom Menace so much back then. <laughs> that anything that wasn't Phantom Menace was way better. Yeah, because at least it was dark and in space a little bit more and they got rid of more Jar Jar and there were a lot of... They got rid of Jar Jar, they got rid of Jake also, Lloyd. Not to not to not for nothing, you know, I would have been what when did this movie come out? This one came out in two thousand two. Yeah, 2002. So I would have been a senior in high school. So I, I feel like I probably did not pick up on how angsty Anakin was. Because <laughs> That's you're like, yeah, you make some really good points there, Anakin. <laughs> I mean, it just <laughs> their relationship seemed a little bit more like a high school relationship. And you're like, yeah, why doesn't she love him? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is not a safe place to open up about this. Uh, 
But I mean, I think I, I'm sorry. I think it was, I, it's fair. Um, I just think I legitimately didn't necessarily pick up on how. I mean, I was awful I was he was 14 going on 15, so I wasn't a lot better. It's just <laughs> it's just funny. Um, the, yeah. Now to that end, uh, you know, you asked me to uh, to find a little bit of dialogue that I thought was terrible, and and I tried to keep it minimal because it's all there's a lot. Bad. There's a lot there, and we've covered some of it. Yes, yes, but the I feel like the one that stands out for me in the movie is so Anakin admits that he he slaughtered the Tusken Raiders, including the men, the women, and the children, and. Her answer, she goes. Hey, you want to get some sushi? Or (laughs) she goes. To be angry is to be human. It's like what? It's like there's there's a difference there. (laughs) Anger, sure. (laughs) Mass murder. We've talked about this. We've talked about this before. Like the Jedi's like weird hatred of fear Uh is is weird. Uh Um, The anger, anger, fear, totally natural, totally normal. There's quite a leap there to like a like basically a genocide of a people. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's actual in some of the I believe it's in the legends and stuff the the extended universe that mm-hmm. doesn't isn't technically canon. Uh, I don't remember if it's in there or if it's in like Clone Wars and stuff. They have like he changed their culture. The Sand People have a name for what happened there. It's it's called like the Valley of the Spirits, the place where it happened. Whoa. Like there's like a legend. Like they think it happened. They think a ghost did it. Whoa! Like it, it he changed their like <laughs> their, their mythology. Yeah. It's like it's like an A A D B C thing. Yeah. Like with with yeah. with the massacre at the Valley of the Spirits. Like this is and she's just like, man, you got mad. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. And then she marries him after. This. Yeah, like pretty quickly after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously, it seems like. All right, let's go home. And why don't we get married while we're there? You want to get married? You yeah. wish to get married now? Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah. That, yeah, it's not a good look. I mean, I think that's as good of a place to end as any. Um, <laughs> it definitely should have ended there. I mean, sure. it, it should have ended in any number of ways other than how it did. But that is episode two, Attack of the Clones. Next week, we get to Revenge of the Sith, which is a movie I think we both like. For the most part. I remember liking it, but... So you haven't watched it recently, so we'll see how that goes. Um, Could go terribly wrong. I like it. I I watched it again already. I I Um, think I remember it being the best of the three. It was for sure the best of three. There's no question about that. The question is if you objectively like it or not. Uh, I look forward to finding it. That'll be an interesting take. But we'll be back next Wednesday for uh, Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Uh, Remember, you can subscribe, rate, and review... Uh, this podcast on your podcast platform of choice. You can follow us at Heavy Lifting uh, with Robbie Lula on Facebook, at R.A. Lula on Twitter and Instagram, and as always on the website, RobbieLulaRadio.com. We appreciate you joining us. Join us. Uh, join me on Friday for the regular podcast and on Monday for Meathead Mondays as well. And then again, obviously, for Star Wars Wednesdays every week between now and the release of The Rise of Skywalker. Thank you so much, Raj. Thanks for joining me, and may the Force be with you. May the Force be with you.